Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. Today we have a very varied, show, very varied show. I'm going to be discussing things that are happening in different places, um, not all right near here, but I give you a lot of different perspectives on many, many, many areas that are far from far afield, you know, one, one this way, one that, over there. But before I start, I'd like to say a few words about uh, somebody who was nifter this, pa- this past week, still in Shiva now, uh, my childhood rabbi, who, Baruch Hashem, he lived till 96, almost 97, um, he just passed away a few days ago. And I wanted to share a few stories tying into Kashrus and maybe into my area of Kashrus, and perhaps I'll feel a little bit about him as well. His name was Rabbi Solomon Freilich, and for over 50 years he was a rov in Mount Vernon, New York, where he uh, had a shul called the Congregation Brothers of Israel, and it was a very prestigious shul. Originally, Rabbi Mariminsky was the rabbi there, a grandson of the Chafetz Chaim, and uh, it was a very, very large shul. The shul seated well over a thousand people. I don't remember the exact number, but it's well over a thousand people were able to daven in the shul. Of course, uh, it wasn't always filled, and towards the later years, it got less and less. Eventually, they moved to another side of town, but because of uh, the you know the demographics changing over over the period of time. Anyway, Rabbi Freilich was there, and he was the uh, main person in the shul, he was the chazan, and he was the rabbi, and chizuk to everybody, etc. In, uh, he's a, Rabbi Freilich was a Talmud of, uh, of uh, Chaim Berlin, it was close to Rabbi Huttner, and, uh, and Rabbi Huttner had sent him, I don't know if it was Rabbi Huttner sent him, or or whatever it was, originally he went out to um, he went out of town, um, St. Paul, Minnesota, and started a Talmud Torah over there. Later on, he came to New, New, uh, to New Rochelle, that's also in uh, that's Westchester, nearby Mount Vernon, and he was a rov over there for a short time. In fact, at the Shiva call, somebody came over and said that he was the Chassidish man now, but at that time he was a little boy and uh, starting out in life. And Rabbi Freilich had been Makar of him. And he went to Yeshiva and became from. He has a whole. His Doris that are from. And, you know, Tari Dika Yidin living in Yerushalayim, in the Eretz Israel. And all came from this Rabbi Freilich. He was Makar of many, many people. Uh, I want to share with you, not to get lost in in his history or any personal involvement, I wanted to share with you a few areas where he tied in to Kashrus, because he gave the Hashkoch in town, and personal impact it had on me uh, to share with you a little bit about what I do today and, 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 and how it impacted, how his, how his uh, training impacted upon me. But, but let me first say a little bit about things that he did to reach out to people. Now, Rabbi Freilich was a person who uh, always wanted to be mechabed, another Jew. His smile was uh, 
fantastic smile, warm, sincere, genuinely interested in people. And he used a phrase, by the way, it's an interesting phrase, I don't hear it anymore. Today we call people from, we call people orthodox, but he used a different word. He used, he used to use the word authentic Judaism. Authentic Judaism, that was the word that he used all the time. And uh, I remember that from my youth. In any event, uh, the shul was decreasing in size. And Rabbi Freyla said, I don't want the shul to go under 100 people on Shabbos. You can't have less than 100 people on Shabbos. Remember, it was once a huge shul. So he made a campaign. Everybody must try to come, even if they come for an hour. You must come for Shabbos, so for the shul. So they were, he, he sent out letters. He did. Uh, he he sent it, put things into the bulletin from the shul, and he personally talked to the people, begged them, and the and the shul maintained its size miraculously when it was in its very, <laughs> very late stages on the way down. Baruch, Baruch Hashem, he was able to maintain that shul, maintain that shul against all odds for over fifty years. But there's one story that I I think was very very important to me personally. I don't know how you can relate to it, but I know how I relate to it. I'm going to share that story with you, and then afterwards I'm going to tell you a few things about Kashrus. Number one is the story because it, it, it played itself out every single sukkus, And in, in small, a smaller uh, way, it, it played itself out other times during the year, but I don't remember them. I just, I just remember uh, sukkus because I used to walk home with the rabbi. Uh, rabbi Freilich would have a lulav and in his hand, and we're walking down a street. Now, I avoided going on those streets because I always like to walk on, uh, you know, a, a normal street, not a not a busy street where there's businesses going on. I like to walk through the park. It's not nice, nice, nice area to go to the shul. Um, and I think it was also faster. But in any event, Rabbi Freilich walks on this business section on the way home, and stops in front of a store. This is Yom Tov. Now he doesn't walk into the store, but he looks into the store. And he stands in the doorway, not in the actual doorway, but like behind that, you know, out in the street area, but where you could see from inside. And a man comes out. Oh, Rabbi, Rabbi, good Yom Tov, good Yom Tov. And Rabbi Freilich would say to him, you know, whatever his name was, let's say uh, his, his name was uh, uh, Fred. He said, Fred, it's Yom Tov. You should really come try to see if you can come to shul. Right now, take the little of an esrik. Let's make a bracha. We would do that outside. Outside, standing outside, everybody walking by. He would take the little of an esrik. He was not Lubavitch. No, there was no Lubavitch then. I mean, I mean Lubavitch was doing whatever they're doing, but we were totally unaware of any uh, such program. And he would stand there and help him make the bracha. And if he didn't say a shechianu yet, he'd say a shechianu. And then he would beg him to come the next day, see if you can come for an hour. See, okay, you can, if you can close the store, fine, but if not, try to see if you can come to shul tomorrow. And this is the way he brought back many souls. Not one and two, but a lot. A lot of people came back through Rabbi Freyla, Rabbi Salman Freyla. So I'm going to tell you these few stories about Kashmir's that tie in. One I've told before was about the uh, butcher store. <laughs> it was on Darshkoch, of course. And there was a mashkiach. The mashkiach was the guy, was the shamus in the shul. But 
there were words out that they think he's not kosher. Now, how can you know? That you see that some of the best people in the world with giving Ashkocha, I mean, Muncie, New York, with, with tremendous rabbanim in there, you could be completely fooled. So the only thing was, the rabbi said to, to, the, to the mashkiach, you got to go and catch him. So the, so the mashkiach, the, 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 the shamas, approached my father, and they made up to meet late at night, I don't know, 12, 1, 2, I don't know what time o'clock, what time, what, what, what time it was at night. And they hid somewhere near the, uh, the butcher store. And they observed. And early in the morning, I don't know if it was 3, 4, 5, I don't know what time it was, a, a truck rolled up, and it was obviously a non-kosher meat truck. Stopped, unloaded, and quickly... My father, Allah went in and told them, you're closed. It's over. Hashkoch is being removed. Now, I want to share with you a few personal stories that I had with Rabbi Freyloch over Kashmir, and it somehow molded my, my way of thinking. Because I learned from Rabbi Freyloch that there's kosher, and this kosher, the different levels of kosher. When we found out that that the that the butcher in town was not a shomer shabbos, we talked to Rabbi Freilich about it, and he said, "Listen, we're giving hashgacha. We have the mashkiach. We make sure that the mashkiach is there for the uh, for the salting. We, we we the meat. We see the simonim when they come in." We know that it's a, it's a kosher butcher store. But I'll tell you the truth. I can't guarantee that the meat is not salted before mashkiah comes, because it's not always there at that particular time. And I couldn't trust the salting of this man. So what I, I'm recommending to you to do is to go to another town, the Yonkers in New York, and, and get your meat from Henry's. He's a Shomer Shabbos, and, and a, and a Philistine. So we got our meat from Henry's. Now, in Henry's, you couldn't go there because it's far away, and uh, the shop it was it inconvenient. You got it delivered. You called up, you made an order, and got delivered. So some people loved that. My, my mother, Hashem, did not like it. And uh, when we were able to go again to, this, to a local store, we, we were happy to do that. But it was not during that time period, because that was a time when the rabbi told us, it's not for you. And we had it's not for you quite a few times in my, uh, in my upbringing. Another one was interesting was the bakery. There were actually two bakeries, I believe. One was a Jewish bakery and one was a non-Jewish bakery. And I, and I can't rem- remember for the life of me which, which was the good one, which was the bad one. But it seems that the rabbi told us, on the QT, of course, this is where, this is where I learned a lot of my kashas, that, that there's different levels. He said, don't trust this particular bakery for parva. Kosher it is, but I can't tell you it's parva. And then uh, and the other bakery was, was all right. We had um, a, a deli in town, and Rabbi Freilich told me, it's not for you. You don't belong in there. 
that's that, that's the that's the chinuch that I got from Rabbi Solomon Freilich. Uh, he he taught me that we have to sometimes have two standards, not double standards, but two standards. One for the best we can do for the most people who would find it very difficult to go beyond that level, kashras. And then for the people who were sincere and who would like to do more and who would be willing to do it even though it is more difficult, then there's not the standard. And that's, that's sort of where I understand when people call up and ask me a kashras question, so I say, you know, a little bit, I, I try to ask them, like, which hashkachas would you like, would you prefer to you use in your house? And we get a feel for what they're looking for. We would say, would you be happy with this and this and this? He said, yes. Well, this is going to be on the same level. On the other hand, if somebody calls me up and they say, I'll tell you, Rabbi Wickler, I use very little in my house. It's all the badats from the Eid Haredes and maybe two or three other hashkachas. So I said, I'll tell you the truth, this is not near that league. I have to be honest with it. And what's really difficult and very interesting, by the way, is when people come over from Israel, and invariably the people who come from Israel have kept uh, very high kosher standards. Even people who are not um, affiliated in the Haredi world keep very high kosher standards in Israel. Because everything is Chal of Israel, and almost everything, and everything is uh, Yashin has to be. And, whoops, okay, we can't deal with that one now. And so, uh, it, we, uh, very often, we, we, you, a person comes from Israel, and they're not necessarily very Haredi, but they want high kosher standards. I remember one, one gentleman, I knew for years ago, he was, he was definitely, whoops, <laughs> sorry. Uh, he was, he was um, in America, you would, you would not term him Haredi whatsoever. But he said, first of all, he didn't want to come back to America after what, what he saw in America. But he also told me, I can't use this, I can't use that, I have to use this, because I'm used to a certain standard of kosher in Eretz Israel. So it, there are different levels, and people choose certain ways. And when you're asking a question, it's good to tell them. And the rabbi has to have some kind of understanding and work with what you're looking for. And on the other hand, if it's not no good, then you have to tell them it's no good. I have certain rabbis who call me up all the time when their congregants call them. They call me, <laughs> and I tell them, for their congregants, this is okay, and that's not okay. If another person might ask me, I would not tell them another set of things. Doesn't sound right. It is right. And that's the chinuch that I got from Rabbi Salman Freilich when I was growing up, that this is not for you. This is acceptable. If you can do better, do this. One of his favorite lines is, uh, one of his favorite lines was, uh, uh, better not, which I never understood as a kid growing up until I got older and understood l'chadchila and b'dyevet. He would tell me, Better not, meaning that if you can live with it, you better follow this way. But if you can't, I don't want to tell you it's strife. And later on, I, I heard similar things from my Rebbe or Vashazim and Zatzal. Okay, so that's a little bit about Rabbi Salman Freilich, who was a tremendous uh, rov and who had made many people come under the derech of Hashem and uh, observant of Torah and mitzvahs. 
One of the things that came up this week, which I thought was very interesting, I wish I could do more justice to it. There's only a little piece of information that I have, but I'm going to share it with you. And, I'm, and we hope to be writing it up, but we're not going to write it up the way that we're saying it now. And that's because of the Lashon Hara aspect. It seems that in, in uh, Europe, especially in England, especially because England had so many corona deaths and so many, it's, it's a serious situation and so much uh, and, 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 and lockdown. So what happened is people are picking on the Haredim, which is understandable. Haredim didn't want to wear masks. Haredim wanted to go to weddings, hasanas. They're not breaking the rules, they're not following it. It became a big issue, just like it's becoming here in America too. But I want to share with you what just happened. I just got the information. Uh, it's dated here February 2nd, so that's pretty close, right? It seems that 50 shops, now it's not exactly 50. The first, I, one place said 30, and one said almost 50. Hopefully now it's more than 50. They have 50 stores. All food stores, all food stores there are, and they're located in different communities. They're located in, let's just see, um, Hackney, Haringey. This is stuff that I'm, you know, I'm not familiar with these, with these communities. Um, and Haringey, I believe, is the one that's a very, very large uh, Jewish community, uh, Haredi community. In any event, there are a number of the Stamford Hill, there are a number of communities that the stores signed up for this. There are over 50, approximately 50 stores that signed up. And basically, I'm going to read to you first what it says on the ad that goes around. To our dear customers, during these challenging times, we all need to make sure we're doing our bit to help keep each other safe. Effective immediately, we will only allow customers who wear a face covering to enter our shop. That's the new rule there in over 50 stores, with about 50 stores. And, and, and there are all kinds of stores. I mean, there are, you know, uh, you know they're, they're selling uh, groceries and, and uh, wines and... Uh, Pizza, everything, meat, butcher stores, any store you can think of, fish stores, you can't walk in without a face covering, and and now there are people who can't or don't. It's difficult for them to wear. They're exempt. There's an exemption. So if you're exempt, please wear a visible exemption badge, and when possible a plastic face shield. Thanking you for your understanding and appreciate your custom. Um, I don't know what appreciate your custom is. I'm not an Englishman, so I don't really know what that means, but uh, that's phrase that they would be more familiar with. In any event, this is a very pervasive group. It's a lot of Hasidim, a lot of Litvisha, all kinds of levels of, 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 uh, from people they banded together and they made this up 
it wasn't done by a rov. There isn't any actual, uh, uh, there's no actual names attached to it. It simply goes this way. They, the names of the stores, etc. How it came about, I don't know. But it's a, a beautiful statement. It's, it's saying grassroots, we recognize the safety of our people has to come first. And without Rabbanim, without uh, fanfare, no names attached to it whatsoever, in one minute, 50 stores, approximately 50 stores, signed up for this. And they post this sign that I just told you about, and it mentions the names of all the stores on it, and that's, that's what they're doing. And I thought it was a wonderful thing because of all the negative uh, publicity that the Haredim have enjoyed, or I don't, bad word to use, enjoyed, that they've suffered over this past, uh, and, and uh, all these past almost three quarters of a year, it's, uh, it's amazing, almost a year, how they have suffered so many attacks because they're, because they're considered to be pariahs, considered to be uncaring, uh, they're considered to be insensitive. All kinds of statements are going around, all kinds of things written up, all kinds of negativity based upon the attitude towards COVID. And there's a certain bravado. I don't really get it too well. Um, I, I, I don't understand personally why we are not more uh, associated with this kind of a movement, why it's such a, a, a big chiddish that this is happening. It should have been a natural thing, and it should have come right away at the beginning, and it's a little bit late in the game for, for these things to happen, but it's an important sign. It means that some people are waking up to the fact that we are responsible for each other and that it would be appropriate for everybody to consider that if you're not worried about yourself because you had corona or you made, or you don't afraid of getting corona or you think you're, you're not going to get it or you think you were immune to it or you're going to be in some way safe, but what about all the other people? Shalom, if a person is a mazik, even if it's accidental, it's considered to be a, a terrible, terrible avera. So here, you know, we have the whole. We just read today about Ir Miklat, when person goes and he kills Bishogeg. He didn't want to kill the man. It was a shogeg. It, he hit the bar, barzel, he hit, he, hit the, he hit this axe against the tree, and the thing ricocheted off, either the axe ricocheted off or a chip of wood ricocheted off, and it killed somebody. And he didn't want to, but it happened. It's on his watch, it's on his name. He has to go into Golas for the rest of his life until or unless the coin Godel dies. He's got to stay in another city, he's got to move away. Everything he had before, forget about it, it's all over. You have to move. People have to assume a certain amount of responsibility. So I just thought that was interesting. I personally very interested in that. Uh, I don't know if it's exciting to you, but to me it was exciting. Now there's a, uh, a video that came out, or call it what you will. It's uh, it's Kedai if anybody wants to to see it. it. Came out from the Star K. It's called Kashrus Conundrums. C-O-N-U-N-D-R-U-M-S. 
Kashra's conundrums, a potpourri of other Kashra's shilas you always wanted to know about. And it's very interesting and very entertaining, uh, done very, very effectively by two rabbis from the Star K, Rabbi Holland and uh, Rabbi Tendler. So if you have a chance to see it, you can see it. Uh, a lot of places have listed it, or you go to, I think if you go to the Star K website, they'll have it there. Kashra's conundrums. And um, they, here are some of the questions that are asked. Can I avoid covering my countertops for Pesach by kashering them with a steamer? And what they show you there, I don't want to ruin it for you, but what they show you there is that the only machine, the only uh, steamer that would do an effective job costs over $1,000. And uh, you can't, a small steamer that you have, even though it looks, they, they, they promise this, they promise that, it's, it's not really uh, effective at all. It doesn't follow the rules of koshering whatsoever. There's only this $1,000 machine if you want to buy it, so at least you find the name on there. Or you could just call Starcade and I'll tell you which one to buy. In the koshering industry, they use that one, the expensive one. Is it possible to use one oven for both milchiks and fleshiks? Well, if not, then your grandmother was not keeping kosher, because years ago everybody had one oven. Um, it discusses a little bit about how to handle it. It's very, very uh, briefly on the on there, but it's important halacha. What can I eat at a non-kosher hotel's breakfast buffet? And they go on. A, they go out very far there. I, I'm, I'm not sure I would agree with each thing I saw. You really have to study it a little bit and discuss it with somebody else. But they discuss about going to a buffet, uh, which is what we have for breakfast in the morning in some of these places, and eating some of this stuff based upon walking into the kitchen and uh, scouting around a little bit. They teach a couple of the tricks. I still think we're better off you know, skipping that one. But uh, if you want to, you'll take a look and see how they explained it. And uh, it's, a very, uh, it's a very effective little video. Again, Kashra's Conundrums, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-U-M-S, from Star K. Definitely recommend it to you. Moving along, I'd like to share with you um, a few thoughts from uh, an, an article that came out from Rabbi Heshi Kahan, uh, who's a Chavar Ko- a Kolil in the, uh, the Mill Basin Kolil, I believe it is. Uh, it's called Halachic Perspectives, Viewing Things for an Extended Period of Time. So uh, I'm going to share with you, I don't want to do the first one, even though it's interesting, because I don't necessarily think that everybody agrees with that, and I don't want to confuse you. So here's something that may be a little more simple. If someone is ordering food to be delivered when he chooses to view something for an extended period of time, what precautions have to be in place in order to permit the food to be consumed? In other words, it's out of your view for a certain amount of time, which means you, don't, you need simonim, you need some kind of proof that this is coming from, a, from, from Jewish sources and the guy isn't delivering something he picked up from a tray for place. So basically, here are the rules. In general, if a non-Jew delivers something that he would profit from, if he were to switch it for a non-kosher one, specifically the cheese, the milk, bread, honey, vinegar, 
and uh, I mean that's like for example, cheese would be would be pizza also. Then there would be a requirement to have a seal over the food that shows that nothing was tampered with. The problem, of course, you all know about that somebody's coming and making a delivery from a pizza store. There's an advantage, of course, if, if it really is, he gets there in two minutes, under the, you know, really two or three minutes, there's no, where's he going to go in two or three minutes? Even to stop at a store and pick another one up would, would be impossible. But if you don't really have that tight a control on top of him, then there's a requirement that you have a seal over the food, whether it's cheese, milk, bread, honey, vinegar, those are the examples. Um, meat, of course, we'll see in a second. If the item being delivered would possibly be transgressing a biblical easer, like, like, for example, fish and meat and wine, then you need two seals. So fish and meat and wine need two seals. Bread and cheese, milk, uh, honey and whatever, vinegar, need one seal. Everything needs a seal, and everything comes sealed today. And the methods that we have of sealing are sufficient, except for the fact that sometimes, like a pizza, it, it, how do you know where it's coming from? It's not really a seal. They put it into a pizza box. Oh, if you have the tape from the store and has the Hashgacha's name on it, <coughs> but if it doesn't have the Hashgacha's name on it, and it doesn't even say the name of the store, and it comes in a box, and because it's very hot, they don't want to close it up too tightly, etc., and they're out of, almost out of tape, so they don't. They send you with, home without a tape, and it says some Italian name on the box. That's not a simon. And even if you're used to that box from that store for the last ten years, it's still not a sign because that's a, that's a common box, and that's why they're buying it. And you know something? Some of the other stores also use it, the non-kosher stores. So you a, a pizza without any simonim on it, without any real wrapping on it, is is. Uh, Definitely something to be concerned about, especially when you order it and it's going to be delivered in an hour or two and not right away. I mean, anybody can go to any place and pick anything up. Now you're asking, why would they do it? So I'll tell you the truth. If a guy is really hungry, he will nibble or eat from that pizza. I wrote up, a, I, I, on this show, I read uh, an article by somebody saying that that's what they do these delivery services, um, they, they actually admit that they eat some some of the things, and they, and they sample it. And of course, if a person messes it up, he's grabbing the pizza and it falls on the floor, and it's dirty on the floor. He's not going to deliver that to to this place. He's going to put it aside and eat it himself, or throw it away. But he's going to get to get another one on the way over, and he doesn't want to go back and tell us the the boss of that other, that the kosher beat the store that it fell on the floor. So, can I tell you, he ate too much, whatever it is, it, it could be he just more than sampled it. I just read a, um, an interesting article from across the pond in England. As you know, in England, they're having uh, a lot of difficulties with corona, and we mentioned it before. But uh, the people are similar all across the world. And just like there are many people in the United States and throughout the world that are going for vegan and vegetarian diets, same thing is happening in England. And this uh, young lady was commenting in a rather strong way 
on something which I think is very important. And that is that in America, we have, we have restaurants that are vegetarian, um, but they're, most of them are not run by Jewish people, and most of them are not with a mashkiach tamidi. They're not really, many of them are not run on a level that is anything near what a, a kosher restaurant should be. Uh, over the time, we've mentioned a lot of uh, these. We don't get into mentioning the particular names of hashkachas, but we mentioned that some of the weakest hashkachas are giving hashkacha to these Indian restaurants, vegetarian restaurants, etc. It's claiming it doesn't need any real certification anyway, and whatever we do is fine. And we've talked about this again and again. An interesting idea came from this young lady who wrote an article called Kosher Restaurants Need to Modernize Their Menus for Vegetarians. And what's interesting about it is, here's a young lady who goes to a kosher restaurant, and very often she goes with her family or with friends, and they are not careful to eat only vegetarian. They would eat a nice piece of meat. Um, so they go into the stores, the restaurants, they're going into Fleshka restaurants, and they're enjoying the food. And she's claiming, and she's properly, uh, probably claiming correctly, that there are very few options for the vegetarian in these uh, restaurants. Uh, it seems that the, they're getting more and more vegetarian people in general, and some of them are coming in together with other people, like we're just like we're mentioning she does, and there aren't enough vegetarian options in a mainstream uh, Fleischik restaurant. So uh, she's always just complaining that, uh, you know, how, much, how many times can she eat uh, the, the same thing again? Uh, you know, to, 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 to eat. it's uh, uh, falafel, falafel, or something like that. So her point is, is, is very well taken. And here's a few ideas that she puts across. And I think that our communities should be looking into this. Uh, it would be a, a healthier opportunity for everybody to offer more... Uh, they don't have to be. They don't have to be parva. They just have to be non-fleshics. I mean, not parva meaning the kalim, and you, know, you can't answer those questions. But at least you're not eating. Uh, you're not eating meat. Uh, they don't want to eat meat. So the uh, the usually what happens is she says that they have very few options. She went. She looked into three places. One place. I mean, she goes all the time, but she, she, she was just trying to study it for this article. And she said the first restaurant had two vegetarian options. The second had one vegetarian option. The third didn't have any except a bowl of lentil soup, which is the, what most people have just to, to start the meal. And that's the only thing they could find there that was not considered to be uh, meaty. Uh, so... You know, she goes with her family, and they, they, they're ordering burger and steak and kebab and shawarma and chicken and lamb and chalent and schnitzel. All those choices are available to them, and she's trying to decide between a bean burger or a chicken a Caesar salad without the chicken, which is basically just wet, wet lettuce, she says. So she thinks it would be very important, and she mentions a few things. I'm not familiar with them too much. So jackfruit I do know. I don't know what setin is and uh, evergreen tofu, I don't know what that is, but these are things she claims are good substitutes and could spice up a traditional meal. And I think the point is very well taken. It would be wonderful if the Fleischica restaurants would offer some vegetarian choices. Uh, 
being that people do come in there who you know would like to who accompany other people or they would like to come in for themselves to, to order in a nice restaurant they want to walk in they're paying money for they want to be able to order what they're familiar with and what they feel happy with and this would keep some of those people away from the other restaurants which are not being run in a proper way the ones that I'm referring to so I thought this is an interesting idea and I hope uh, some people who are listening now might bring it up to to those people in this country who have different restaurants, and maybe you can mention it to them. Maybe we'll do a story on it too. I think it's a very interesting uh, idea to uh, to to give people an opportunity to be in a regular Fleischer restaurant, or I could even say a regular dairy restaurant with uh, uh, with with options that they would consider to be vegetarian or vegan and feel comfortable with and feel that it's a real meal and feel that they're they're satisfied sitting there and being part of the uh of the the people who are at that program or at that meal etc i think it's an interesting idea i don't know which restaurants do this which restaurants do that but it's something that should be explored a little bit more more vegetarian options in the Fleischik and the dairy restaurants uh, that currently exist. The other article that I came across also, to across the pond, um, which probably, I don't know if it reflects anything that's going on in this country, but they're having a problem with a shortage of meat for Pesach already, they're talking about. And uh, it's it's interesting how uh, what, what they talk about as a problem is that many people are not doing the Pesach programs, they're not going away for Pesach. Um, I, I think some people are going away for Pesach, but I don't think that many. And uh, I've spoken to people who are uh, asking me a little bit about it already. Uh, where could they buy uh, meals that are prepared, that are Pesach meals that are prepared, because they're not going to cook in their house, and they're not, and they're not going this year to, the, uh, to one of these hotels. So there are only about two or three options for people who you know want to stay home and want to buy Pesach dicha meals to serve in the house. However, they serve them. I don't know what they, you know, what method they're going to use, but uh, this is, seems to be something that's uh, rather important to them. And in uh, in England, they're talking about at least a twenty percent increase because of the coronavirus epidemic, and the people's travels plans are changed. So, at least twenty percent increase of people staying. I think it might be more because it was an extremely large number of people going away for Pesach. I don't know which places are open. I'm sure some places are open, and I'm sure uh, there will be some p- smaller groups, etc. It may not be the huge groups that were so prevalent in the past where there's hundreds of millions of dollars being spent for Pesach pr- programs. And I, I think as a society, we're better off that some people are staying home. They're going to be with their near where their fa- rather their families and friends are, they're going to be in the shul together with us, and uh, I think it will be a wonderful Pesach. But as far as the question about the meat uh, in Europe, especially, it seems to be an issue. I don't know if it's going to be any issue here. I do know that people have to, have to address it at the present time, and uh, you know it's becoming a little uh, interesting. We just want to mention a few. Um, Highlights of some of the uh, products that are mislabeled or etc. Some issues that came up. Uh, some of these you might be familiar with. 
I saw a product. It's called Milano Giant Lady Fingers. I don't know where it's distributed, but it's it's interesting that it uh, it comes from Toronto, and of course, uh, you know, the United States is is one of the places where they're selling it, and it has a C O R D E. So again, it's Milano Giant Lady Finger Biscuits has a C O R. That's from the that's from the Council of Rabbis of from Toronto, and a D E. But actually, it's dairy. So this is one of the, the things that happens a lot. I have a tremendous, this magazine, that we just finished a magazine, and this magazine has in it 99 products that are mislabeled. 99 mislabeled products. I, I, it's a huge number. I don't usually remember, I don't remember any number that big in the past, but uh, there's mislabeling. Some, some of it's through the corona, because a lot of hashkachas dropped their hashkacha, and the company didn't take it off the packaging. So there's, there's a nice number of products that are being sold today that we'll see a symbol on, and it's just not authorized. So uh, you, these are things that you, uh, you want to check up on. And in the Kashmir magazine, we have the full list uh, more than anybody else has any place else because we have it all together in one spot. So if you're, if you're interested in getting a copy or a subscription, you can call us at the office 718-336-8544, or you can uh, email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, or you can go on to our website, kashrusmagazine.com, and order there. In one of the places in, in, uh, in Brooklyn, it's called The Nuttery, and it's been selling products that bear an OK. Uh, unfortunately, the OK hasn't been certifying it since March 2nd, 2020. And yet there's still the products out there with the nuttery having an okay on their packaging. Very, very unfortunate situation where people, um, you know, feel they're going to get away with it or forget about it or, you know, don't expect anything's going to happen. I got a contact, somebody called me today, so this is already a pre-Pesach alert. Somebody called me today with an interesting uh, interesting piece of information. He says that he buys xylitol, and that we mentioned the magazine that there's OU and OUP, and they should buy the one that has OUP if it has a, if you can find it. If not, you can't use it because it's going to be uh, a chametz issue, and uh, that's what I said about about xylitol. So he called me up and he said to me that last year uh, he went to purchase some xylitol and he saw. The OU covered up. And on top of it, he saw a Hasidic Hashkacha from Europe. And uh, he wanted to know about this. So, I mean, obviously you can call it the OU and they may be able to help you out. But the answer is obvious, I told him. Uh, you, you have a product that, uh, that was produced under the OU, but they didn't take responsibility for Pesach. And this Hashkacha is taking responsibility for Pesach. So you might think, that's a fake. You know, it's not, it's not Kashul of Pesach. But that's not necessarily true. It's very possible that it is Kashul of Pesach. It's something that I can't decide from here, but it's possible that it is Kashul of Pesach. And the Hashkacha that uh, is on top of the OU took responsibility for the Pesach production, and the OU didn't take responsibility. Now, why didn't they go to the OU if they're paying the money for the OU all year round? 
because it might have cost them a lot of money, because they, they have to do a special production for Pesach. For Pesach, the OU has to send the mashkiach for the entire time, the production. It's going to cost an arm and a leg. I don't know if anybody understands how much they charge, because it's a very serious amount. And they have to, to inspect it for Pesach and make decisions, so there's a nice little fee built in there. So the Hasidah Kashkacha might uh, you know, be cheaper, and it uh, might be easier, whatever. I don't know. may not be doing a proper job. I have no idea. A few years ago, we had a product. It was, uh, it, it was a, uh, an, uh, an orange juice that said Koshal Pesach and had five hashkachas on it. An OU, uh, the Vada Queens, and uh, some Hasidic hashkachas. I don't remember all the hashkachas there, but altogether there were five. And uh, it said on the top, it said uh, on the top of the, of the container, it said Kashla Pesach. It didn't say Kashla Pesach on the label. Not near an OU, not near this, not near that. And it says it on the top. So I thought it was a little funny. And I think, I think it was also inkjetted around the side. So I thought it was a little funny. So I started making calls trying to find out who takes responsibility for this. The OU didn't take responsibility for it. I believe the Vada Queens didn't take responsibility for it. And I was able to locate among the few Hamish Ashkachas there, a couple of Hasidisha and some maybe some Litvisha, or among the other three, I located one that said, we did it. And then and the other ones, one or two of the others also signed in on it. Uh, we did the kosher pace of production. So obviously, here's five Hashkachas, and not all of them are in tune with this, with this claim of kosher Pesach. So this is something that you know, people have to realize. Uh, you're only as good as the bottom line. You know? what, what is the possibility? What are the possibilities that could take place over here? These are a few uh, of, the, of the recent things that are happening. I'm going to uh, make the program a little shorter today. And uh, I wish everybody a wonderful week. This is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, and wishing you a wonderful week. You can reach us during the week at 718-336-8544 or 732-534-9363 or Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com or kashrusmagazine.com. And uh, I'd like to just let you know that if anybody's interested, the, 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 new subscript, the new magazine's coming out. It's in production as we speak. And we have hopefully two more before Pesach. So it's, we're working overtime, and that's why I need a little extra time. And I uh, thank you all for understanding about that and wishing you a wonderful week.